0: Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, it is my great pleasure to welcome Greg Casali to the show. Welcome, Greg. Thanks, Jeremy. Great to be here. Greg is the founder and CEO of Reveneer and Reveneer provides outbound SDRs as a managed service. I also have my trusty co-host Jess Kleck with me. Howdy Jess. Hey
1: Jeremy, thanks for having me back as always.
0: We are going to have a, a pretty broad ranging discussion around how the sales process has changed and Greg's got some pretty unique perspectives on that. We'll talk a little bit about outbound SDRs because uh, as some folks know, I'm a little bit of a skeptic on that. So I wanna challenge Greg a little bit on that and we'll cover as usual, a lot of interesting other ground as well. So Greg, I, you know, I usually start by asking people a question about their favorite book or podcasts or what their first sales job was, but I'm gonna skip all that because I think we have so much to talk about. And, and I'm gonna start with you know people uh, who have kind of read some of the stuff that I put out there on Outbound SDR, World know that I'm a bit of a skeptic. I think it works in some contexts, but not in others. Help me through my skepticism.
2: <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because it's sometimes it's the first thing I hear when I get on calls to talk to potential customers about outsourcing. And the first thing I'll hear, you know, we had a bad experience a couple times, or uh, my last couple of companies we tried it didn't really work well. And and I I say I'm the same. I mean, I I never had a good experience. I tried to pay for performance meeting setting, and I tried different forms of outsourcing, and it really didn't work very well. And I was trying to figure out why that is. And, you know, I can kind of net it all out for you in in something really, really simple. It turns out that in order to do this, and this is whether you do it yourself or whether you're like me and I have to build an operation of 150 SDRs here, in order to do it really, really well, it comes down to something that probably is not on most people's list of things to go tackle and that is culture and retention. Mm -hmm. That's what drives all of this. And you can buy all the technology you want. You can have all the process you want. You can spend all your time hiring great people and all that is, is important. But if you have turnover, you will never achieve anything that looks like predictable, repeatable, reliable results. You have to have people that like what they're doing. They're having fun. They're making money and they stay. And the longer they stay, the more success we have and the more success our customers have. That's been the key to our success. And underneath the covers of all the things you have to do to create that culture and that retention is a whole bunch of stuff that's counterintuitive to what most of us ever really understood or thought of. And that's the fascinating part of this whole thing. So I start there and then get into all the technology and the process and all that stuff. But it all has to lead to retention.
0: I completely agree with you. I think that is the number one failure mode in outbound, outsourced. SDR world. So what, what are some of the things that you do to focus on hiring and retaining those people?
2: Yeah, well, I think the first thing is the profile of who thrives in these organizations today is very different than what it was even 10 years ago. Because of the way these organizations, these SDR operations uh, should be run today and where they are run in the good places, which is heavy focus on process, heavy focus on technology and training, You need a certain kind of person that gravitates to that and thrives in that. And you think about, well, what is that person? What kind of person gravitates to process? What kind of person gravitates to CRM? What kind of person gravitates to metrics, performance? It's not who we all thought of was the sales rock star. The sales rock star was, well, get out of my way. Let me do it my way. I'll get results for you. Don't ask me how I do it. Just get out of my way. Well, that's great if you're a startup and you need to hire your first two or three salespeople. right? Get out of their way. Let them have success. But what if you're scaling to 12 or 24 or 150 like I have SDRs? What happens if you have all of those people now doing things their own way to get results, even if they're successful? Even if they're successful, I can't predict for my customer what's going to happen. And you can't predict for your CEO what's going to happen quarter to quarter. We need predictability. The only way to build predictability is to have people that are compliant in the system that we create, which means they're following the same process, they're measured the same way, and we can optimize and move them in one direction. So we have to hire a completely different kind of person today. It's more of an analytical, process-driven person, a good listener rather than a big talker. And this is something you want to find in your interview process. And above all that, if you get all that, you get the analytical-minded person, good listener rather than talker, way up on the highest part of the list, particularly for out- off-the-charts verbal ability. We cannot compromise their ability to communicate one-on-one with someone and put thoughts and ideas in a uh, simple format while they're thinking on their feet. So we look for those kinds of things in this profile today. And luckily, it's not what other people are looking for. So we love ex-athletes, you know, college athletes. We love all those things. But that, it turns out, has very little correlation to success
1: in the role today. You've said a lot of really great things there. And I I think for our listeners that are perhaps thinking about building SDR teams, specifically outbound, a lot of companies sort of view that as the breeding ground for them to move up sort of immediately. And the profile is someone that comes in and views it a bit as a tour of duty, like it's I have to do this. What would you say to organizations building their SDR organization to make them sort of have that mind shift? Because the tour of duty suggests that okay, I'll do my time for a year, then I'll immediately be promoted. But when you're thinking about retention and uh, that driving success and culture, actually, I'd love to hear some advice you might give to some of those listeners.
2: Well, I think the tour of duty mentality of you put your time in here and then you get to go here is a Fantasy created by those of us who are old enough who had to go through that, you know. So you have this whole generation of people who are saying, "Hey, maybe I want to go into sales," and they're talking to their parents or their uncle or or their aunt about, "Hey, tell me about sales." Well, you got to put your time in inside, and then you get outside, and then it's you know you're going to travel and you're know what's up. None of that is relevant today. So if you take someone with no preconceived idea about sales as we do, because we don't hire from other sales organizations. And you just talk to them about what is the job. You're going to get really good about having conversations with people and discovering needs. And you're going to be able to take those needs and move them through a process to close deals. And that never goes away. I don't care what level you're at. You're always going to be doing prospecting. You're always going to be having conversations. You're always going to be moving people through to close. And now we can forget the idea of moving out because there is no out. So now we just talk about a career in sales that involves all of these things, and you can now create a big six-figure earnings career track for yourself. Stop trying to put labels on it to go from this to that to that. And that also implies that this idea of prospecting and lead gen and all that stuff isn't fun. It can absolutely be fun if the culture is designed that way and there's gamification and there's different elements of being able to bring something interesting and innovative to that part of the process, it doesn't have to be mindlessly dialing the phone or sending 200 emails a day. So we have to get rid of all of the stories that we used to tell, which are kind of the war stories. And just say, this is a great career from beginning all the way through. And I have closers here every level. We promote them all the way through until they're closing big six-figure enterprise deals. We're not just the top of funnel. And they're not out in the field. They're not meeting with customers, but they're creating very big career tracks inside. That's an exciting story for someone just coming out of college. And that's the story we want to tell.
0: Since we've been talking about process a lot, I did want to shift gears to our, our second topic. I heard recently about uh, one of the companies in the outsourced SDR world that had really gone to a, a like a process extreme, I would call it, where they've actually split the people who make calls from the people who send emails. I found this to be very unusual. You know, the named person is the one who makes the calls. The person who sends the emails is, you know, sort of lurking in the background, impersonating that other person. I'm curious on your thoughts on that, but then you can also feel free to use that as a segue into, you know, some of your deeper thoughts on how the sales process is changing.
2: I've heard that recently. In fact, I heard for the first time of somebody that was kind of spoofing another person in there in their emails, which was kind of fascinating to me in some ways, and it was a little creepy in another. But the way we think about it is we use a phone first cadence. So we call many times before we ever go to email. And we also don't use voicemail. And those things surprise a lot of people that we go phone first, no voicemail, and then go to email. The reason for that is This is true today, and people don't believe it, but we make 100,000 outbound calls a month, so we have all the data. A live conversation between me and you when you pick up the phone is still the highest converting form of interaction we can have, higher than any kind of email, higher than any kind of social, by orders of magnitude. If I can get you one-on-one on the phone, the conversion rate of that is highest than anything else. So let's start with a place that says, I want as many of those as I can have. Now it becomes a science problem. And this is where the science comes in to say, how do you get more conversations via one-to-one calling in a period of time? For that, you have to understand a lot of things about statistics and math. If you understand the math and the probabilities around what it takes for one, somebody to pick up the phone, and two, for you to get a conversation of two minutes or longer, you can make that work for you. And if you do it consistently all the way through that probability curve, And don't interrupt it with anything else. Then go to the other things. You maximize your ability to have the conversations. I don't want to do voicemail because I've interrupted my ability now to have the live conversation because I know they don't want the live conversation. That's a given. If they don't want the live conversation, it makes it harder for me to get it. So I don't want you to know that I'm calling you because I want you to pick up. Once you pick up, I also know you're going to raise objections. I I pretty much know what those are because we can determine those. And now I'm prepared to handle them so I can move it on to a a conversation. So we use phone first. It turns out that probability curve is about 12 to 15 dials calling two to three times a week. So you call about every other day and you're going to call for 12 to 15 tries to go through the probability curve. We actually call up to 20 tries on a single lead before we'll go to email. And then we'll go to our sequences. And this is all done by the same rep. So they're going through their call sequence and then they're going through their email sequence, uh, again, with with no voicemail in between. We are fanatical about doing that across the, the entire team, doing it the same way at the same time. This is important too. There's times of day for calling and there's times of day for your emailing and your social, but the call blocks need to be the same by team Because when I look at connect and conversation rates, I wanna know that they happened at the same time of day. Because I may decide to change that cadence and move the call block to another place, I wanna know, does that make it better or worse? If my team is doing things all different at different times of day, I can't read the metrics and know what to do. Now, this goes back to our earlier conversation. What kind of crazy person would want to live inside of an hour-by-hour calling cadence and how many dials they're going to make in that calling cadence, and then look at metrics and optimize it. People like me, nerdy, numberish, analytical people that, that think it's really cool to be able to do this kind of testing and see how things go up and go down and change it. That's the kind of people
0: we want in this system. When you stop calling, when you've made those 20 calls, and you shift over to email, are you then just pure email from then on out because you already did the 20 calls?
2: Well, we're going to run a five email sequence and we're going to space those about three to four days apart and they use sales law for the sequencing. Those are going to be different each time, a little bit different in terms of the email. This tries to keep them at the top of the inbox. If we don't get anything through this call cycle, which if you kind of do the math on all this stuff, right, you're probably in a call cycle for three or four weeks. You're probably in an email sequence again for another three or four weeks. So now you've gone pretty long without a connect for that person. We're not done with that lead, but we're certainly going to let it go for a while before we come back to it because there's usually something else going on there. There's absolutely people that gravitate to the phone and there's absolutely people that are more email. We've all had the one where they didn't pick up in 20 dials, but then they answered the email, the second email that I sent them and the vice versa. And when I talk about outbound, I always, always, always get people say, well, you'll never get me because I don't, pick up my phone. You know, um, that's why connect rates are six and a half percent. You're already in the numbers, right? I don't worry about you. I'm looking for the six and a half percent that are going to pick up. So, you know, that's how I think about it. There is an idea, you know, you do kind of exhaust tries. We're trying to play the probabilities here. And you do get to a point of the probabilities aren't in your favor. You know, are you going to pull the black marble out of the jar of white marbles after eight weeks? Probably not.
0: Yeah, you cut bait at some point. The other question I had, since you're so scientific, I would assume that you're maniacal about openers and how openers evolve over time. There's different schools of thought, right? Is like some people say, you know, you jump right in, hey, uh, hey, Greg, this is Jeremy from Salesloft. The reason for my call is blah, right? Uh, there's all kinds of other things, you know, hey, how you doing? And I catch you at a good time. Did I catch you at a bad time? All these philosophies and any any insights through statistics on what good openers are. Well, I think you
2: might have read our blog because you did exactly what we train our teams to do, which is introduce yourself and then say the reason for my call is, and that's really important because we know that what that person wants to know, immediately after they pick up the phone and realize it's someone they don't know, who are you and why are you calling me? And so we honor that. Come back and tell me exactly why you're calling me. And as short a amount of time as you can. And that's exactly how we open the call. Now, there are all these other things, Jeremy, which is, did I catch you at a bad time? Or I can say it, you know, in the positive, is this an okay time to talk? There's way too much religion in all of these things. What I care the most about is, are you dwelling in the same approach long enough that you can measure its success or lack of success so that you can change to something different? The problem with running an SDR operation, big or small, is that people will try all these things on some random basis. So in other words, if I had success saying, did I catch you at a bad time on a call yesterday, I may have convinced myself that this is it for the next two weeks. It may not be viable at all. And now I multiply that by 6, 12, 18 reps, and all of a sudden I have something I can't make sense of. What I care the most about is consistency. So I never get into religious force. Like even if somebody says, hey, why wouldn't you leave a voicemail? You're already on the phone. I'm like, okay, leave voicemail. I don't care, but make sure everybody does the exact same thing every time. So now you can measure it and you can tell me what it would be with voicemail. And then I would say, try it without voicemail and see if it goes up or down. Create your own testing and figure out what it is. It's not about whether my opening is better than yours. I picked one that I think works really well. And I make sure everybody is doing it the same way. Now, let's keep in mind too, as people progress in this role as SDR, we give them more leeway to use instincts and things like that. And that's only fair. You're not gonna take someone who's been doing this for a year and have them under such strict guidelines. But when you're ramping a team, particularly from new people, through that first 90 days, six months, it's very, very important that you have enough structure that you can look at what's working and what's not and make the right changes there.
0: Brilliant. You just mentioned new people also, which made me think about hiring right now when we're just hiring people who never come in the office, never, right? They have to, they train remotely. Has your ramp time, success rate, you know, have have these things changed as you've had to hire people who, you know, you may never have even met face-to-face? I know Jess runs a team and you probably have hired a few people lately. That uh, you have probably not met face to face yet either. Yeah, we did for the
2: first time. We had teams, and we bring on ten to twelve or more people a month uh, on teams. We have a a training program runs about ten days here. Uh, We have a big training center and all that stuff. So all of a sudden it was scramble. How do we do this remotely? And my training team did a really good job of doing that. And we had our first teams go through hundred percent remote. They interviewed remotely. They were hired remotely, and they were trained remotely. We didn't see any degradation in performance. In fact, they were able to ramp just as quickly. We measure time to first demo as a key metric for us. There's time, there's dials to first demo. So that kind of tells us how quickly everyone on the team kind of gets there. But the needs that they had in order to make that happen are different. So the needs that a team has when they're in our floor are different when they just come out of training and and are starting to do the job. Versus if I take that team of four, And not only is the team remote, but each person is remote from the rest of their team. So we had to replicate that team experience, meaning they had time in the day when they were on joint blocks with their team and with their coach. And so we created that structured that throughout the day, Uh, we had live calling blocks where everyone is calling while they're on a Zoom. And then when somebody has a conversation, the rest of the people are muting so they can hear that conversation, which replicates what happens at the table. Now, for us, we also wanted to replicate the experience of being on a big floor because that creates this idea of shared experience and energy and things like that. So then we started to create, through our gamification platform, contests throughout the day from team to team. And we use a product called Draft Sales for that. And this allows us to um, either individual by individual or team to team create spot contests. They can be created by the reps if they want ad hoc. And it could be, hey, I'm going to challenge you to a conversation battle, or I'm going to challenge you to dials or meetings from now through the end of the day. Or as a manager, I'll create a contest that finishes on Friday for a $100 gift card. And then we all get together on Friday at 4 o'clock, as we do every week. And we look at all the winners and we pay out on Venmo. So we had to create remotely this experience that you are part of a team, number one but you're also part of a floor and part of revenue. And I think we came up with some really cool techniques for doing that. And there's a reason I had to do it for survival of our business. Think about many companies where the SDR team, maybe there's two people and they're kind of the last thing I'm worried about with all the changes with COVID. And now you have these these poor folks who are sort of isolated at home. No one's really checking in on them. They're expected to make the same dials, which is very difficult. And they're just sort of being left. And I got these calls from colleagues saying, hey, Greg, how are you guys doing this? Because I moved three people home and the whole thing fell apart. It takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of attention to creating that kind of engagement throughout the day. And it turns out, forget COVID, we should have been doing this all along. Yeah. So now we're better off because now we know how to do it without the office.
1: I'm interested to know, have your retention rates gone up or stayed the same? The gamification is really cool. I I actually think we should do something like that. We did a lot in the beginning of COVID of like the team Jeopardies and the team, you know, and then everyone got Zoom fatigue. (laughs) (laughs) Now we're kind of in this space, but I think specifically for SDRs, uh, it is such a, they feed off one another's energy so much more than any other role. So what's the retention like now?
2: Well, I mean, retention's interesting. I mean, the biggest impact on retention is the economic environment around you, right? I mean, we've, we've all enjoyed this kind of, you know, kind of boom economy and particularly in sales. and It was hard to get people and all that. So I think the real hard job of retention was, you know, I know here in Boston, I mean, we have Facebook and Google and Amazon, you know, right down the street, which are like giant Hoover vacuums for, you know, for anybody coming out of college. And, you know, we've been really lucky at Revenue. We typically run about ninety-five percent or better annually. We won Inc. Magazine Best Workplace uh, the last two years. Boston Globe were number twelve and an Inc. Five Thousand Fast Growing Company. So it's a place that people want to come to. And when they look at our environment, when you walk in, you kind of get the sense that this is not a boiler room. This is not churn and burn. So we, you know, we didn't have retention issues there, but we worked hard on it. Now you come to COVID and. COVID in some ways made it easier for retention because let's face it, I mean, you know, a lot of jobs were going away and some of the biggest jobs were BDRs. I mean, the number of companies that just ditched their BDR SDR operations blows me away. I mean, that was happening everywhere. So I don't think that part of it was an issue. But I think the way, you know, for us, there's two kinds of people in this role. One kind of person might want to do it as a lone wolf, kind of working alone, and they may like that we were hiring the kind of people that saw this operation either on on videos online or you know and said i want to be a part of that right i want to be a part of the floor and i like the energy and all that stuff to hire that person and then say but now you're going to work at your kitchen table was a big challenge and we do see turnover there if they hired because of what they saw when they came in they were hired because of what they saw and then all of a sudden that changed they might end up saying, I don't think sales is for me, when really what they are saying is, I don't think doing sales alone is for me. And there's a lot of people who feel that way. It's a really hard job to do by yourself, particularly if you're doing the SDR function, which is why we have an obligation to make it not be
0: isolated. We have an obligation to make it as a team. You mentioned coaches earlier who are um, you know, helping your, your team advance. Is it the managers or the coaches, or do you actually have a separate coaching slash enablement role that are super experts in uh, in the process that's being implemented? So every team has a sales
2: development manager that's a true manager that's responsible for the team on a day-to-day basis. But then we also have a full-time training and coaching staff that brings the team through training. And then they will, when called upon by the SDM manager on a one-to-one basis, will provide additional coaching because everyone's needs after training are different. Some people have needs um, around creating conversations. Some have needs around closing for meetings or whatever it might be. We create a customized, you know, boosters for that. Or some people need help with their speech. So then we have speech analytics. We'll send them back for that. So I guess to answer your question, there's a manager responsible for the day-to-day, and then there is a coach assigned to the team for additional uh,
0: training. And and you just opened up the last question that I was curious about, which is the speech analytics clinics. Can you just tell us a little bit about what tools you're using there and, and how you use that? Yeah, we really like ORI
2: for training, or AI. Uh, for training. It's a uh, easy-to-use mobile app that you can um, kind of put on the phone, and it's as simple as, as pushing a big red button and speaking into it, and you will get the speech analytics back. It will show how clean your speech is. It will show pace of speech and energy level, and so we'll use that both in role-playing and also for kind of one-on-one exercises like talk for 60 seconds about a trip you took or something like that, and then we'll get into describing products with it recording. We're using Gong as well, um, but we don't use it in production. We use it for training uh, purposes. And that's obviously is gonna give us more true analysis, right, speech to text, as well as the conversational analysis. And we think that's a useful tool as well.
0: Brilliant, well, Greg, thank you. If people do wanna find out about uh, getting a great opportunity to work at Reveneer, what's the best way for them to reach out to you?
2: Well, we're, we're always hiring. We have a lot of positions to fill. We're always bringing on new customers revenue.io is your best first stop.
0: Outstanding. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, Greg. Thanks so much. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople Podcast.